Chats from the Blog Cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life, our books, our culture, or anything. And today we're chatting with Nicole Black. She wrote the book, I Can Still Hear You. And Nicole, I want to say, I've said this a lot lately, but this one particularly, everything in this book, I can say, honestly, I could see myself going through this as well in my life. So I want to thank you for first writing your book. Um, and we'll talk about your book in a minute, but let's talk about who you are first. You already told me before we went in that you're an elementary school teacher too as well. So, well, I, actually that's kind of new. So that, um, that was a thank you COVID, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have to kind of reassess like, who am I? What am I doing? Because what I was really like super focused on was speaking and writing. And unfortunately, COVID said nobody's going to be doing speaking events for a moment now. So um, and I'm not a huge lover of um, like Zoom speaking engagements. I just don't find it as authentic as, you know, sitting or being in a room live with people. So I had to kind of backpedal and go, what was it that I wanted to do before I had the job? So I had owned bakeries before I was speaking. And I was like, what did I want to do before I did that? And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be a teacher. And so I looked at it and I was like, well, the easiest way for me to do it is to get my master's in elementary education. So a little over a year ago, I started that program and I graduated in a year And that's with 13 weeks of student teaching and five weeks of um, clinical supervision where I just watch other uh, teachers teach. So I actually, I got a lot done in the last year. So now I'm I'm almost officially a teacher, but that really was, um, and it's also something that I love a lot. I love working with children. Uh, It's much easier to work with children than like trying to talk adults through all of their past trauma. You know, it's easier to like start with a child, make sure they don't have that trauma, or if they do, that they know how to deal with it right then and there. And then, right, they grow up to be adults. They're not quite as um, affected as, as some of us have been. So that's a little bit about me. Um, and Let's see. I live in Southern California with my daughter. And um, I've had other careers in this lifetime where I owned a bakery bistro. I also worked in human resources for um, a major movie company. And uh, and that's about it. So, <laughs> And you had a little visitor coming across your back. <laughs> my pretty boy, he is 15 and a half years old. And he found out that he's a very skittish cat. So if you came to my house, if you were here with me, you would not see him. He loves him. And so every time like I'm on Zoom and there was a moment where like in the beginning, people would be like, oh, are you going to move the cat? And it was actually more traumatizing to move the cat yeah. than to just let him show up and show his face. So yeah. and I'm, a big, I'm, I'm a big animal lover. So there we go. Me too. So let's talk about I can still hear you. I honestly say that that 
parts of that book, I can, my dad, back, my backstory is my dad passed away in 2015, at the very beginning of 2015. And there are still moments of time when I can still hear him saying things to me. So when you were talking, some of the things that you were saying, I'm like, oh, man. And the biggest thing, anybody that knows me, and I meant to grab it because it's sitting right over there, um, is I always have cardinals around me now. That's when my Christmas tree has a cardinal on it for him and everything. And that's one of the big things in your book that you write about is cardinals. So that's why when I sent you the talking points, I'm like, the cardinal, we have to talk about the cardinal. Let's talk about the Cardinal. We have to talk about the Cardinal. So the Cardinal also showed up for me. And when my dad first passed away, not just moments before your dad did, my dad left in um, July of 2014. And I was sitting in my living room, distraught. You know, I'd already lost my mom. So I'm not a stranger to losing a parent, but that was a surprise. And my dad's was not a surprise. And so now I've done it both ways. And I can tell you that they're equally painful. Mm -hmm. Neither one, knowing or not knowing, doesn't make it any easier. And it doesn't make you miss the person any less. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was sitting there and I, after my mom had passed away, because I was 28 when she died, um, I said, you know, if there's a God, show me a sign. And a white butterfly appeared out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, all right, thank you. Thank you, mom. But then every time, when I would have be like in times of trouble or, you know, when you need your mom, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, um, I would see a white butterfly, sometimes out of nowhere. So when my dad passed away, I was just sitting in the living room crying and I looked out the back window and I saw the biggest monarch. I mean, this monarch, it was this big. It was like both of my hands wide. It mm -hmm. looked like a fake um, butterfly, but it was real. And so monarchs show up a lot for me, mm -hmm. but then cardinals started showing up and it wasn't just the bird. So there is a, um, a baseball team called mm -hmm. the Cardinals, right? And so like little things would start showing up from them. And I'm like, I'm, you know, like I, I love baseball, but I don't follow it or anything. Um, so, but all these little tiny things would start showing up and sometimes it would just be something that was like cardinal red, you know, that beautiful cardinal red color. Mm -hmm. And I'd look and I'd be like, oh, that's what that color is called. Okay. Cardinal red. Of course it is. They were everywhere. And then in Hawaii, where the story is set, uh, that is when that, all that stuff really did happen with the birds, like coming down out of nowhere and like pennies mm -hmm. and dimes and stuff showing up literally out of nowhere, like could walk and then seconds later turn around and then it's there. I, I can't make this stuff up. So my whole thought and especially like about the Cardinals is that um, the veil, if you will, is very thin in between um, this dimension and the dimension where I believe our deceased loved ones go to. And I think that like a lot of times when like the Cardinals would show up for me, it would always be in a moment where I'd be like, gosh, I wish somebody was here to see it. Mm -hmm. So last year when I was uh, in Hawaii with my daughter and I was telling her I was I was doing this hike that's in the book with her and I was telling her about the red Cardinal and and all of a sudden she goes, you mean like that one right there? And she points the head on the path. And on that path, I had never seen a red cardinal. And I was like, that's him. Yes, that's the one. So they are literally everywhere. Can't I can't mm -hmm. get rid of them. 
And, um, and so sometimes like I'll have friends who are like, well, maybe you should try to manifest it as something different. And I'm like, okay, uh, how about a peacock then? If, if, what about a peacock? And uh, one of my students was coughing and I, I looked up and there were giant peacock feathers in the science lab where I was with the students. And I, I just started shaking my head and can't, cannot write this stuff. You can't write this stuff. So I was like, okay. But if you still didn't believe, my daughter and I watched Frozen over the weekend. And all of a sudden, just one line in the movie, all of a sudden, it's like, like a peacock. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> you're here. I don't know what the sign is. I don't know what it means, but I know that you're here. And that's all I guess I really need to know. So <laughs> I love that. But there's also different times signs and that you wrote in your book as well like the same number the patterns the importance of patterns the same numbers repeating over and over and over again and things like that so let's talk about those That's, oh i love repeating patterns um i am somebody who thinks like you know people will show you who they are more than they'll tell you right but um if you actually just sit back and watch kind of like a movie you can actually see people's patterns um, in the way they walk and the way they talk and the way that they treat other people. Um, and it's really, really interesting. So the, and the numbers thing still happens to me to this day where five, five, five happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign of major change coming Two two twos always been a really huge one for me. And then the repeating fours have now started and repeating threes. So I always kind of look like, well, what does it mean? And every single one says your angels are close to you. <laughs> so I kind of just look at it now and think, wow, that's really cool. Huh? Somebody's trying to get me a message. And even if I don't know what the message is, I'll just stop, take a collective breath and just think, thank you for whatever it is. If they're stopping something mm -hmm. so that I don't, you know, have a conversation that I don't want to have, you know, because sometimes that happens. We have conversations we don't want to have. And maybe me stopping and looking at the clock slows it down enough where that other thing doesn't happen. So that's the other thing that I, I didn't really intimate as much in my book, but I do honestly think that those things do happen. So, and I wanted to, I just didn't do a good enough job. <laughs> I love that. Now, well, it's a um, fiction book, you know, it's a work. Yeah. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> that is so true. But it's fiction based on real life, correct? Like, yeah, you kind of built some of their story around your dad. The whole, um, so in the story, um, there is a lighthouse in Maui, but it's very small. You wouldn't be able to climb up in it the way that I describe it in the story. Um, and my dad was in the Coast Guard. So some of this stuff is true, but my dad was a Hollywood movie director. So mm -hmm. a lot of my life, I think, I kind of grew up living my life like it was a movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then like waiting for that Hollywood ending. And in real life, you know, like, like when you're having a real conversation with somebody, you can't make those endings just happen. You know, it, it has to like happen. Everything happens naturally the way it's supposed to. Even when we kind of like step in and kind of change things up, like, no, I'm going to, I want this to happen. You know, it won't matter. You know, we get where we're supposed to get when we're supposed to get there. <laughs> I definitely talk about that in the book because, um, because she's walking on a path 
much mm -hmm. like I'm walking a path and you are, we're all walking paths, right? And that's why, you know, you hear, you see the little memes like, be kind. You have no idea what that person is going through. Mm -hmm. Literally, like their whole world could have just fallen apart moments earlier. You don't know, you know? And yeah. so it's always for me, um, I kind of think of it as like how our footprints are in the sand, right? Like, and if mm -hmm. we can just walk a little bit more gently, um, not everybody knows what a footprint in the sand is because not everybody has walked on sand. Mm -hmm. So I apologize for that metaphor, but, um, you know, just walking where we're cognizant that like, you know, I weigh 125 pounds. I'm not boom, 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 throwing mm -hmm. all of my 125 pounds into the earth with every step I take, right? Like, I can just glide over a lot here. Um, and I think it also, that helps to make people more approachable, you know, when we're not just all like focused in me, 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 mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> which is easy to do. Um, and also, you know, just taking the time to recognize that everybody is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. So. That is so true. And now, um, you have your book with you, and I know I asked you to read part of it, but we have to do a brief commercial break, and then we'll be right back, and I'll help you read part of your book. Thank you. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe. And don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Branding yourself begins with self-reflection. Taking stock of your strengths. Is there a particular talent that helps you shine? In this series, founder of Pierre Branding Group, Lydia Pierre, sits down with the executives and entrepreneurs to shed light on why it is important to brand yourself and get ahead. And we are back chatting with Nicole Black, who wrote, I can still hear you. And she's going to read part of her book. And I cannot wait to hear what passage you picked out. So you're going to help me, as a matter of fact. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to have you pick a number between um, 5 and 50. Okay, let's do 25. 25. So I'm turning to page 25. I've, I went through this morning and I was like, what am I going to read? And then I was like, well, I don't know. Whatever is supposed to show up. Ooh. So 25 actually happens to be the start of chapter three. Uh, okay. Mark has always had an obsession with tacos. The last time I saw him five years ago when his father was just about to move to Florida, he'd come in from New York with the worst hankering ever for real Mexican food, the kind you could only find in Southern California. So before he'd been able to help his father clean up the house and get it ready for sale, we'd gone to the local dive restaurant on the corner to satisfy that craving. He'd eaten six tacos that day, and that wasn't even his record. When he was 15, he could probably double that. I'm a growing boy, he'd say, and it probably wasn't the tacos so much as his good genes. 
but now he was nearly 6'5", lean and fit. He motioned to the waiter from our booth as he polished off his third. Just keep him coming, he said, fist in his dos equis. I'll tell you when to stop. I peered over my second shrimp taco. You'd think they don't feed you over there. He shrugged. They got good pizza, Thai food, Indian, sure, but nothing beats a good taco. He gazed lovingly at it before shoving half of the thing into his mouth at once like a rabid animal. I rolled my eyes. You're still as gross as ever, I see. Ah, but you love me. I think that's what he said, but his mouth was full. So interestingly enough, that is a passage about um, Scarlett's best friend, Mark, coming back from New York to um, be with her during the funeral. And Mark is a, a pivotal character in the mm -hmm. book. And so I have been asked, Mark is not real. He is not um, somebody from my past um, because uh, there's, you know, there's moments where like Mark clearly cares about Scarlett. And so I think a lot of people have rooted for me that Mark is real. He's not. But who knows? Maybe he will be. One day. <laughs> Maybe you manifested Mark in your book that he'll come in to real life be there. You never know. You never know. So, but he is um, somebody who helps her on the journey, but also lets her know, like, he's always pushing her, like, you have to do it yourself. Because like everything in life, like we can have our best friends and our parents pushing us, right? But if you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. I'm gonna do it. That is so true. So let's yeah. talk about your book. It's a, the premise of a young woman who basically is really down on her luck. Like she's lost all her job. She's at the point of getting evicted. I noticed there was a cat in this story. Was that your cat? Was it based on your cat as well? That is based on my cat. But Tank in the book is an orange tabby cat. And my cat's a gray Russian blue cat. I didn't want him to get, you know, upset if he didn't really <laughs> Didn't give him a big enough role in the book. <laughs> and, and she loses her dad, which wasn't unexpectedly. Like she basically knew her dad was dying. Um, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But she has to, her dad sets her on a treasure hunt after he's died about finding things and having to go on a journey. And the journey is more, it's not about finding treasure. It's more about finding who she is. Correct. So was that a journey kind of similar to what you went on? It is 100% the journey that I went on. And I don't know if you can relate, um, you know, because losing a father, not listen, I will tell you, first of all, not everybody is close to their parents. Mm -hmm. That's and not everybody should be. There are people whose parents, they probably shouldn't have been parents. I am going to tell you, I'm going to preface everything that I say with that. Um, I got so lucky in the parent department. Um, and I got really, really lucky in the father-daughter department that mm -hmm. I had a dad that I was incredibly close to, which made his passing even harder. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I had moved to Santa Barbara so that we could, so that my daughter, who was two when we moved here, she's 16 now, um, so that she could know my dad better because that was incredibly important to me that she know um, her grandfather. And I have never regretted that decision. I have always thought that was one of the best things that I ever did um, was so that she could know her. But um, my dad was definitely somebody who would 
he would never do the thing, you know, like if I told him something that was like painful or like, you know, dad, I made a giant mistake and we're in the car, he would say, thank you, Nicole. Um, we can talk when we get to the rest stop. You know, like it was always very mm -hmm. even and calm. Like there was never, nothing was ever a big deal, but he was always like, well, what's the message behind that? Because mm -hmm. there's always like, you can always read between the lines. There's always hidden messages, right? And people will tease me like, I think things are hidden in plain sight, you know? Yep. Um, when I was getting on with you and I was like, ah, where's my book? It was right next to me, right <laughs> on top of my desk, <laughs> hidden in plain sight. So mm -hmm. that's the first place we don't look, right? Because yeah. we just assume it's not going to be there. Um, and so when I was writing this book, this book actually took about six years to write. Um, it's I started when uh, right after pretty much right after he had passed away. And I have a brother and originally the brother was in the book, but then it felt like, no, she doesn't need a crutch. The brother should be it, it should be this boyfriend guy instead mm -hmm. uh, or best friend growing up guy Uh don't want to give that away, but I just kind of did. Um, and so all of those things were, yes, I did go to Hawaii. I had to, um, I had to take a break from what life is as I know it so that I could get clear and try to connect in with my dad mm -hmm. so that he could lead me. And there were a lot of moments when I was writing this book and you've read it, you know, there's no swear words in it. Mm -hmm. Not one. But I used to have a terrible potty mouth. And uh, there was a lot of moments that I thought, is he writing this through me? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, like I, would, even when I would be typing, it would be like, bah, 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 and then bad work. <laughs> but when I was writing, like, purposefully, no bad words ever came out. It was very wow. Yeah. Well, I will say that you have a lot of life nuggets in here as well. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I took notes while you were, while I was reading and I came out with three pages front and back of notes. Oh my gosh. Of things that I was like, man, I just, I mean, some great advice in there. And you don't even think when you're reading a fiction book that you're going to get as much advice as what you give, but it's the, it's not like throw it in your face. You need to do this. It's more like, oh, wait a second. Maybe I need to do this. You know, you're reading and you're going, that really resonates with me. Was that was your intent? So when you were saying that, Melissa, because there was a moment where a, a reviewer had said like, oh, she's just giving life lessons. And I thought, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> like, you know, we all need to hear things. You, Everybody says the same thing. It's mm -hmm. just when is your mind ready to receive that information mm -hmm. and who is the person who's the vessel that is delivering the information? So I didn't feel like the like the life lessons were like, you know, hammered out mm -hmm. like this one person had said. So I'm glad that you said that. And that makes me feel a lot better about it because that is what it was meant to be. It was just like nuggets sprinkled. Mm -hmm. right? It's not. It's glitter. It's sprinkled along the path. And so you see it here and there, but it's not like I'm in your face. This is what this book is supposed to be doing. I had really wanted to do something like the Celestine prophecy. Um, but unfortunately, I'm just not that good of a writer and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with admitting 
that that is not my strong point. <laughs> I love that. I mean, but honestly, I wonder if it's because maybe the reviewer had never lost a parent, because I think if you coming from the, the mindset that you lost a parent and you really wish that you could hear them speaking to you again, that maybe that's why it resonated so much with me because I could hear my dad's voice in this as well. And you were talking about Cardinals and your everything else and, and watching your parent, I'm not about to tear up and watching your parent suffer from an illness and someone who's larger than life. Cause I can already tell in the book that your dad was larger than life. Cause and even though we don't really get to meet the dad in the book, the last, the only thing we see is the very beginning when he is dying. Yeah. But just the interactions that she has with people afterwards when they talk about her dad. And that to me was like, your, your whole book is based on your memories of your dad. And you kind of drew it in so that everybody else who's lost a parent can say, you know, I can resonate. I understand where she's coming from because that's, that's my dad as well, or that's my mom, or that's maybe my sister or something like that as well. Yeah. That's funny that you said that I was originally going to call it, I can still hear you dad. But I thought, well, what if people didn't like their dad or what if they lost their mom instead? But I probably should have had it as I can still hear you dad, because like you had a very strong connection with your father too. And it sounds like he still visits and, mm -hmm. you know, bestows advice upon you. And um, I wish that more people would be open to thinking that, you know, or even if they don't believe, like, you know, let other people have their beliefs, you know, yeah. like whatever brings you comfort in times of grief, as long as it's not illegal or immoral or hurting somebody else, um, you know, you, you have to do what feels right, like in the moment. That is so true. And I had actually, actually, copy down the poem that you included in the book. Why did you include the If by Rudyard Kipling? Uh, that poem is a beautiful poem. And I wish that I could tell you that my dad had read it to me as a child and that that's why it had such special, special meaning. But that's not the truth. So when I was writing the book, there was a moment where I was like, well, dad, <laughs> I need a really great poem. And I don't want it to be Invictus because that was his and my poem. And I didn't, I just wanted it to be something different. And, it, you know, kind of like how magic just shows up, right? I think I opened up Facebook and somebody had posted that poem. And I thought, well, wow. that poem fits the bill 100%. And so that's how that poem was chosen. Wow. I, I absolutely love that poem. Me now. Too. now. <laughs> <laughs> Now, let's go back to the talking about the loss of your dad, because I, in the back of the book, you actually do like a, about, um, no, it's the acknowledgement. And you talk, you start talking about how you started writing it because, um, where is it at? There was a letter from your dad sealed in the envelope and you actually read it that day during the fire in California, I think. I did on a, on the interview with Jack Canfield. I just moved and I was thinking that they were right behind me, but I'd have to move some stuff around to show you the letters. Um, so that was actually, my dad had written my one right after my mom died. My dad sat at his typewriter, 
is in the 90s. <laughs> and um, or like, I think it was 2000. So we saw typewriters back then. And he was like writing this big letter. And I was like, whoa, what's that thing? It was like 15 pages long, right? Wow. Single spaced. And he's like, oh, it's a letter for you for when I die. And I was like, well, can I read it now? And he said, absolutely not. It's for when I die. And I was like, well, so <laughs> you can imagine, like, I remembered that letter. And then, like, he had sealed it with, like, packing tape. Like, there was no getting into that letter. He would have known, and he would have been really disappointed if I had done it. So after he passed away, the first thing I wanted was, like, I, I felt like something in the letter might give me comfort. Mm -hmm. And I read it. And I was like, you know, wow, okay, he talks about an ex-boyfriend of mine who, um, and I thought, wow, I've waited all this time. And, and it's about this guy that my whole family couldn't stand. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, I won't make that mistake again, I promise. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I'm reading the letter and, and my brother's like, he has the same letter and he goes, no, nope, doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't make any sense. And I was like, okay, whatever. So I put it away. And then when I was cleaning something out, I, or I went to like find a box and that letter was in it. And I was like, wait a second. And this is years later. This is the the wild, the Thomas fire, which was the biggest fire that our state had seen started in 2017 is raging all around. And I'm looking for buttons for a coat and I'm <laughs> digging through this old box of buttons and I find this letter from my dad, sealed, same exact letter. But I think to myself, no, I know I opened that. Like 100%, I know I opened that letter. So I go and I, I very carefully open this one. And I take it out. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be new. No, it's the same exact letter, which was fine. But I had new eyes to read it through. Mm. And then I thought, well, where's the other one? So I went and it was right where I had left it. So I'm like, okay, I have two. And then something happened last summer, which was after that video recording. So I was cleaning out my garage and I find the letter again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But this one was my brother's and it was the one that he had opened. And I'm like, hey, you left this in my garage. And he lives in Los Angeles. He lives an hour and a half away from me. So there is no reason why his letter should be in my garage but I opened it and I read it a third time with new eyes and got more, you know, information and thought, okay, I know what's going on now. So it's been very interesting how he just keeps dropping the same letter. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, like there's like a stamp on it, like a peregrine falcon. And I'm like, okay, is it a falcon? What am I supposed to be, you know, mm -hmm. finding? And then I'm like, maybe I'm just supposed to sit still and not look mm -hmm. for anything right now. Maybe he just wants me to sit and read, you know? Well, the yeah. fact that he wrote the same letter to, that you found it three times and it's the same exact letter. Now, what? My brother doesn't have two copies, only me. And the outside of the envelope was handwritten, you know, for Nicole Black, not to be read until my death or mental incapacitation. And it was written the same on all, well, my brother said his name. And then, but the same thing, sealed with different stamps, like from the Natural History Museum in New York. So part of me was like, oh, he's telling me that Scarlett 
Scarlet lives on and she needs to have a part two where, you know, where maybe mom comes in and, um, and perhaps she's supposed to go to New York. So that's where my mind goes. And I've been really busy working on that master's degree. So I haven't had time to like sit and write, like meditate and let things come through. But um, thank you, Melissa. I think that uh, you just told me, not unknowingly, right? Uh -huh. You just let me know why things keep popping up again. Like, what's the purpose? Because so. honestly, I could see a part two to the story. Yeah. Because she, it, yes. Like it's, it has like, it ends like at a natural ending, right? It's, you know, the story arc, all stories are exactly the same. They have mm -hmm. to be. That's, that's what makes stories work. But there was, there's such been such a big part of me. That's like, gosh, I feel like it's not over, you know, mm -hmm. and New York would be really awesome. And then I'm like, okay, do I have it in me? I think I do. You, do. you have it <laughs> yeah. in you. You totally have it in you. <laughs> Now let's talk about the um the what the dad dies of in right because book. you were talking about the back of my book and so normally what authors will put in the back of their book is like uh follow me here or buy my this or find me now and and that is absolutely what you are supposed to do as an author you are supposed to put those things in there this book was my labor of love to my father um, that's why it's dedicated to my dad. And, um, and so I think for me, I didn't want to make it about like, you know, Hey, follow me or, you know, find me on Instagram, which you absolutely can. I'm writer Nicole B on Instagram. Um, but my dad, and the reason why I'd wanted to move to California so that my daughter could know him was my dad contracted a disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Mm. Idiopathic means they don't know the cause. Um, there's a lot of theories and, you know, oddly enough, he was in New York renovating a brownstone and that's where we think that he had enough asbestos um, exposure that that might have been what the cause was. But again, idiopathic, we don't know. So perhaps she does need to go to New York to get some answers. She being scarlet. Or yeah. <laughs> And, and so my dad, when he got diagnosed with that, I was actually pregnant with my daughter living in Florida and he didn't tell me. And he had been at my wedding and he looked great. And then I saw him like right before my daughter was born. And I was I just the look on my face. I'm like, what happened? He had literally aged 20 years in about a year and a half. And he was on something called interferon. They were trying like all kinds of experimental medications. None of it worked. And they put him on a lung transplant list, but he was older at the time when he got onto the list. And so, you know, it's one of those things where they want to give a, as terrible as this sounds, when they're doing organ donations, what they want to do is they want to give it to the person who is going to benefit the longest from the donation. I think that's a polite enough way to say it where nobody feels like I I'm an organ donor. I think everybody should be, you know, like if I'm not going to be using it anymore, somebody else absolutely ought to be. Um, and so we get the news that he has idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. He's on the lung transplant list. And I looked at my now ex-husband and I was like, I, I have to, we have to go to California. I'm so sorry. 
uh, we'll have to build our own bakery for you. And, and that will be that. And that's exactly what happened. And my daughter did get to know him. Now, when my dad had the lung transplant, it's funny because he got, we got the call um, at the end of January in um, 2009. And as soon as he went in, it was, you know, kind of a panicky thing because it's a 12 hour long surgery and, you know, you don't know if long is going to take. And if it doesn't take, you're probably not going to make it for very long. So, but the lung took and they told us, so I'm telling you this because they, the doctors told us, right, when the lung took, they said two to five years is the survival mm -hmm. rate post-transplant. Now you hear stuff like that when your loved one has a transplant and you think, yeah, two to five years. Mm -hmm. But this is my dad. He'll live forever. So, and my dad wasn't like a super athletic person or anything. He wasn't like, you know, hitting the gym or like, you know, riding his mm -hmm. bicycle everywhere. So when he made it five and a half years post-transplant, I felt like that was a really big thing. Um, and UCLA is on the West Coast, I think the best place for um, any kind of transplantation. I think that UCLA is uh, the best hospital on the West Coast, period. That's where he had his transplant. I, I'm sort of an honorary nurse there because when you start living mm -hmm. in the room, <laughs> you become a nurse. Um, and so for my ask in my book, it is for people who feel so inclined to donate to, um, to the, you know, to UCLA for um, research. Uh, and also, you know, for people to consider organ donation. Like just, it's just a little check mark, you know, when you go to renew your driver's license. Um, yeah, so that is kind of a little bit about how that story uh, went in the back. And thank you for putting it up on your screen. Um, so that is that organization, lungtransplantfoundation.org, is a woman whose father also passed away, I think, mm -hmm. from idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And so she kind of has this organization and she really, that's her focus is raising money. Um, I, I'm so grateful for her because it's not something that I would be interested in making my prime mm -hmm. focus. So I'm so happy that there's somebody out there that does want to make it their prime focus. <laughs> I so, I so get this. And it's so funny that, you know, we, we already talked about how this book touched me because of losing dad. So I can definitely go with you on that. But my sister died of lung cancer. Oh. So, and yeah. she was um, 27 years old when she died. So, and I was pregnant with my very first baby and that's 26 years ago and there's still days where you know i can still hear her as well and i think i heard her through your book too as well wow melissa that um first of all i'm so sorry for your loss uh, 27 is it's it's like you just barely got off the starting mm -hmm. line you know uh it's unfair in my opinion um and when people tell me like, you know, well, God or whatever one believes in always takes the good ones first. Mm -hmm. I always think, yes, that's a hundred percent true. So especially when, you know, somebody goes early and lung cancer. Mm -hmm. um, so lungs, just to bring it back for you. So like why, 
what happens in the lungs, like different parts of the body and different forms of medicine, um, Chinese medicine, the lungs represent grief and loss. And so it makes sense, you know, when people are like, I'm really sad. And then they start smoking again. I'm like, well, that makes sense. Is that bringing you comfort? Then do that because you'll be able to quit smoking again. Everybody can. It's really easy. It's hard to stay quit. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to, easy to quit. Hard to stay quit. So, um, but I think that the lungs, like, and it's, the number one thing we need to sustain life, right? Breath. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, that's something that's incredibly important. Like, you know, I hope that when I leave this planet, you know, probably when I'm a hundred or so, because <laughs> it only takes the good ones first. Um, <laughs> I hope that the mark that I leave will be as big as the one that my dad left for me. You know, not just for my daughter, but my dad left a mark, you know, on the world. Mm -hmm. And um, and I so very much miss him. Um, and I know that you can relate mm -hmm. because, you know, you've lost people. Um, something I'd love to talk to you about is, so there are a lot of times where people haven't lost people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they think like, oh, I don't need this book. And I would argue that you absolutely do need it. Mm -hmm because you have an opportunity to see one person's point of view of what you might experience, mm -hmm. you know, and it's different for everybody, right? Like when, you know, I found out um, yesterday that one of my very dear friends, who's only about five years older than me, has um, ALS, mm -hmm. uh, Lugaric's disease, and um, frontal temporal uh, dementia. And we had this lovely conversation and I was feeling great. And then she says, oh, by the way, the frontal temporal thing um, has erased all of my long-term memory. Where do I know you from? No. And I thought to myself, you know, like, so I was like, oh, well, here, go on Facebook and then you can see our pictures together, you know? And, and so, and it was fine, but honestly, like, if you've never lost anybody, I'm really happy to hear that because, you know, it is a pain unlike mm -hmm. any other that you'll, that you'll ever experience. And I'm hopeful that maybe this will help some people understand, like, you know, like how sometimes they'll say, mm -hmm. like, some people will look at you and go, God, well, it's been a year. Get over it already. Well, it's not that easy. You know, like yeah, you might exactly. hear a song and or you'll see a cardinal or you'll just hear a running waterfall. And you'll remember like this time when your dad took you to the waterfall up in Oregon and you mm -hmm. guys jumped and it was really cool. And, you know, you wish you still had that energy to like want to jump off of waterfalls. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, little things. I just hope that people loss or no loss. Um, compassion's a huge thing for me, like, you know, having compassion and teaching about compassion for other people. So, sorry, I got a little off track there. No, you're you're perfectly fine. Because honestly, I like the part where you said it it hits people differently. Grief does, and if you've not experienced grief, then that's that's major. Because Tilly was long as most of us live have lived and not experienced. That's huge. But it hits everybody differently. It there be some days where you're perfectly fine. Like my sister's been gone 26 years, but every year around her birthday, some days I'm good. 
Some days all I want to do is just ball up and watch TV or go visit her grave or do something for her. And this year it hit her birthday, the Marine Corps birthday, because my dad was a Marine and Veterans Day all hit in the same week. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm useless this week. So this, and that was just very recently. That was two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago yeah. Um, yeah. was a hard week for you. And, you know, I'll tell you, like my book came out in February and when I was lucky enough that you said that you would have me on your, um, on your show, I thought, oh, wow, well, it'll be November before I'm on her show. And then I thought, well, obviously there's a reason. And the date is 1122, right? So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think of a date. But definitely, I think if I had, if it wasn't in the season where it's been two weeks past, because like I just, I started reading it. I've had it for a while, but right. I just started, you know, <laughs> you know, but you know, you're meant to read it when you're meant to read it. And so I, I have my books where I have a lot of books coming in now where I just put the date on them and just go, okay, when we get a time, when we get a time, that's all I can do. And I was like, oh, I need to read her book. And I was like, oh, I need to read her book. And then I started reading and I'm like, why did I not read this earlier? But then I realized it's because I was coming off that week of, of grief and I needed to read that book at that particular, this book at the particular time, because I can hear them. I can hear them talking to me. Yeah. And especially like now we're heading into the holiday season, Mm -hmm. right? That can be, you know, who do you want to be with? Well, you want to be with your dad and your sister, right? Mm -hmm. I would love to have my parents here. Um, Finding new ways to uh, find new traditions or creating new traditions for yourself. Um, And then sticking with it and honoring it, you know, like even if you're like, oh, I, I don't love always traveling by myself. I personally do, but some people do. Um, You know, maybe I won't travel this year for the holidays. I'll try something different, get out of that pattern. But then, you know, hey, great. If I try something new and I don't like it and I want to go back to how I was doing it, then I can't, you know. I Uh, love that. But yeah, it's so important. Like, you know, I think when people are, losing somebody when they're in the process of losing somebody i always try to like help them refocus on but they're not gone yet Mm. so get all of the information that all those questions that you want to know about grandma and really did she hang out with the milkman or was it the pencil (laughs) whatever it is because when they're gone you're making up the stories in your mind Uh you're always right you know you have the conversation like you talk to your dad and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm right, dad. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you get back and like, okay, but you you are totally right. I get it. But um, you know, like if you go back and I don't know, I don't know. That's just something that I think about. You know, like um, how to make things easier on people. You know, that first year, it's it's a wash. You know, you're mm-hmm. experiencing. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Kwanzaa, New Year's, yes. Valentine's, whatever it is, your birthday, um, all for the first time. And so when people say like to others, you know, well, when are you going to get over it? It's been long mm-hmm. enough. Um, the other thing I offer is as advice to, you know, say back to somebody is thank you for your opinion. Mm-hmm. Because you can't say anything to that. Yeah, I, 
I thanked you. I've let you know that it's your opinion. And, uh, you know, check. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This has been such a great conversation, but our time is almost up. Is there any last little nugget that you want to leave us with before we talk about where people can find you and where they can find the book? Um, yes, I guess something that's been coming up for me a lot lately is, um, you know, get busy living, get busy living and enjoy it. Enjoy every minute because it's going to be over before you know it. You know, we're, we're all headed that way. And, um, you know, you only get this like one kind of shot at life, right? You can only do something the first time, one time. And so make the most of every minute and, if somebody crosses your mind, call them, reach out. You'll you'll be glad you did. Um, that's what I would like to share. So I love that. I love that. Now I'm gonna put up again. I I, I still have it on the screen. Uh, LungTransplantFoundation.org is the the foundation. My mind will like for a minute. The foundation where the lady is raising money to help with lung transplants. Correct. Correct. And then the other one that giving UCLA, giving.ucla.ed, edu. Yeah, that's if you want to do, donate directly to UCLA, um, which is how I would do it. But I, I like to have people, I like information. So I, um, I would say that if you are so inclined, you know, please think about uh, a, don a small donation. Um, I want to... I forgot when we were talking, but when you're talking about certain things happening for certain reasons, um, I wanted to go back and say, because it was when you were talking, I thought, oh, yeah, I never connected to my sister's death. But my sister and my dad both died from um, having exposure to some harsh chemicals while my dad was in the military. Um, Agent Orange. But no, listen, it comes full circle because my eldest daughter, who's in California, she lives in Pasadena. She is getting her PhD in environmental toxicology because of what happened to my dad and my sister. And she did not even know my sister. So it kind of she that wasn't what she originally was planning on going to school for. She got her uh, bachelor in science and psychology. But the when she was in college is when my dad died from exposure to agent orange. And so she just changed her whole life. And plus she met her husband who has, who's getting his PhD in chemistry, but still the fact that that the whole, they want to help the environment. They want to help people and to donate to science. And that's why I was like, when you were talking about UCLA.edu, I was like, that's science-based people that love science and want to help spur the research. That's perfect. Right. And as a teacher now, uh, rather than trying to like help adults piece themselves back together, I use my love of education. Education's a gift that can never be taken away. And um, I use that to like, you know, you notice it in classrooms. It's like, it's time for math and everybody, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm going to get water. You know, nobody wants mm. to be there. And so I always start with yay math. And <laughs> Because when you hear something and people are like, oh, I'm so excited we're doing math, 
<laughs> it starts to become ingrained in you. And I have had students be like, I really love math now. And I'm like, oh, that's so exciting. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> you're going to need to go save the world. So you're going to definitely need to get really good at math. Well, math. <laughs> Tell me about it. We'll need you to save the world in just a few years. So, <laughs> And your book is called I Can Still Hear You. Yes. Um, and it has independent publisher book awards. Tell us a little bit about that before we hop off. Oh, so um, so I submitted my book to the Independent um, Publishers uh, Book Awards, and I, I kind of didn't think I submitted it on the last day that you could send it in. And I thought, well, you know, wing in a prayer. And so when I won the bronze medal, I was like, oh, my God, I won a medal. Like, <laughs> I was super excited. And then I said, oh, gosh, but it was just the bronze. And then I thought, you know what? At the Olympics, one, two, and three all get to stand on the podium. And so mm -hmm. I was like, I'm proud of myself. You know, like this book took six years to write. It took a lot out of me. And I had a lot of help, obviously. You know, I had great editors and um, I had a lot of wonderful feedback from people. But it was a labor of love. And um, and so at any rate, to win a little award for it, you know, just made me feel a little like, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> It's like valid. It's another validation from your dad that you wrote the right story. It is the validation that I wrote the right story because I had another book that I wrote that did not win any awards, but should have. But <laughs> but was a um, it's a nonfiction book and it's a self help book. So you're right. I think that my dad was like, nope, that was the story you're supposed to be writing. So, and so another thing, Melissa, right? Listen, like when they're telling you you're on the wrong path, like believe, believe that they've seen further ahead than you have. So true. And so hopefully we'll see Scarlett again soon in a two, part two. Part two. She's going to head off to New York. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She was in Hawaii, California in this book. So then she's going to go to New York. So I love, love, love that. Yeah. She's, I mean, I'm, I've been playing around with it. Like, obviously she goes back to the house, her house uh, that she grew up in and she's going to find another like box, but this one will be more like a musical box, something like not that she has to go somewhere and get, but something that's in her house that gives her a message, tells her she needs to take a journey and uh, she'll go on her voyage and return. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it was a box that maybe Mark had that her dad gave her. Maybe, yeah, that's a great idea. Thanks, Melissa. He <laughs> was at Mark's house this whole time. There you go. <laughs> so, Nicole, that do happen. I truly, truly believe that. So, and if um, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at writer Nicole B, um, or you can email me at nicole at nicoleblack.com. Yeah, I love that. And uh, Nicole, once again, I want to thank you for coming on, for writing this story, the story that I needed to hear so I can still hear you <laughs> because I needed to hear this at the perfect time when I was going through a really rough, you know, like I said, I took four pages of notes just because that's just who I am. Um, and I can't wait to see the second book. Hopefully it won't take you six years to write. It won't. <laughs> it won't. So guys, I will put in the show notes um, where all you can where where you I'm going to tie where you can find Nicole as well as where you can find her book. Um, is the other book published as well? The other book is published. It's called Fat Shame. Fat Shame. Yeah. 
Okay, so I will also link that as well if they were interested in checking that book out as well. Yeah, it's a great and, book. <laughs> and, and Nicole, thank you for coming on and for sharing and for sharing your dad with us too in this book. Thanks, Melissa. And thank you for sharing your stories with me about your dad and your sister. I know it's not easy to share and I appreciate you opening up to me. Well, thank you. And so guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Be blessed and remember, keep chatting. Bye. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.